So I would very much love to hear about your meditation experience. Yes? Uh, for me, it's very painful. Uh, since I've been, I, I've been sitting for an hour every day. Yes. And with no problem, but for some reason, a half hour sit today was mm-hmm. excruciating. Maybe, maybe you triggered something in <laughs> from the last retreat. But, uh, Are you sitting the same way that you usually do? Hmm. Maybe from maybe from tiredness and particularly tired. That's the only thing I can think of. Well, I certainly hope I didn't trigger something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, other other than the fact that it was very painful, uh, is there anything else that you would comment on about that? Uh, um, well, just that, that I was able to maintain a relatively strong sense of awareness of the sensations. Mm-hmm. And continuous uh, awareness of the sensations? Yeah, it's sort of the, <coughs> the intervening Uh-huh, yes, right. Well, it was very quick right. to sort of, okay, all right, just sort of accept this, all right, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Yes. That's a very good uh, description of, uh, yeah, the thoughts passing through without any attachment to them. Yeah. yeah that's good. Thank you. Yes? Uh, I have a question. Is there a proper procedure or technique to do um, when when the gong is hit, when you're finishing the meditation session, either mentally or physically? Is there a proper procedure for for um, ending the sit? Yeah, kind of like the opposite of a warm-up. Mm-hmm. Kind of easing your way out of that, of that mental state. Um... Uh, there are certain. It, 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 it's appropriate to make some kind of transition. Uh, what uh, I'll just tell you what I usually do. <coughs> and uh, you see, your 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 mind has been very focused. And usually, what I do is I will just bow, and then I will just uh, let my awareness sort of expand into my body and the surrounding area. And it's like. Uh, uh, give myself, uh, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds to just come back into uh, a normal level of sensory awareness and, and open my eyes uh, just to make that transition. Uh, nothing particularly elaborate, but yeah, otherwise it, it's a little bit shocking. You're sitting there and if you've succeeded in becoming highly focused and then all of a sudden you just open your eyes and okay. <laughs> Do you have any comments uh, on that, or or anyone else for that matter? Remind myself that the practice does not end there. Make a particular note about that. That's a very good point, yes. To carry on from that point. Maintain that mindful awareness. Yes. Is the environment, the place, important for meditation? Is the environment important? Uh-huh. Well, uh, certainly, it is to the degree that uh, some environments can be very conducive to to calm and quiet, and some can be uh, can, can provide a lot of distraction and difficulty. Is that is that the sort of thing that you mean? Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, it's fairly obvious that uh, you'll have an easier time meditating in a uh, a quiet place and a a beautiful place. Uh, whereas, and, and it's a funny kind of thing, but uh, even with your eyes closed, if your surroundings are pleasant, then uh, that has an effect on your mind. You know, meditating in a place that's noisy or meditating in a place that's 
uh, uh, ugly or, or dirty, you know, there it, it does have some kind of effect. But uh, ultimately, though, it shouldn't be very significant. Well, somebody was asking me about uh, uh, meditating in a place like Sedona. You know, there's this particular energy there uh, that uh, is quite famous, famous for that uh, sort of energy. And some people find that a place like that, uh, that they have very good meditations. And the place where I live is a place where people often say they have very good meditations there. So there are some environments that uh, seem to have those special qualities. But uh, the important thing is uh, what your own abilities are, and it's what's happening inside your own mind. You you wouldn't want to be dependent on on environment. I just can't, if the environment's not right, then I just really can't practice. Well, that would not be a good place to be in. Right? So you know uh, uh, what you what you'd be working towards, making use, of course, of the most conducive environments that are available to you. And of course, in terms of a regular practice, finding a particular place in your home, uh, uh, equipping it, setting it up, making it so that it, it, it is as conducive as possible, that's a very good idea. Where you really want to go to is a place where uh, the meditative state is available to you no matter what the external circumstances, you know, that you can, can bring it forth at any time, regardless. So your your walking meditation today. Anybody have any comments on that? Did it, did, uh, did it work out the way that I suggested it would? Did you find that you had good practice in directing and sustaining your attention? Well, I got confused about which foot to think about when, because uh, I thought you were supposed to think about the foot that you're lifting and setting down. Yes. Okay, but where I felt the most while I was doing that was the weight on my other foot. Mm-hmm. So then I thought, oh, maybe I heard that wrong. Uh, no. The, uh, the normal way to do that practice <coughs> is that you are focusing your attention on, on the foot that's moving. And uh, the next time that you have a chance to do some walking, <coughs> what you might want to notice there is that the uh, the foot that your weight is on, there is a, a stronger sensation in the sense of pressure, but it is uh, uh, but the sensation in the other foot has much more variety and change to it, as the foot is uh, making breaking contact with the floor, and then as the foot is moving through the air, and then as the foot is establishing content. A contact, and then as you shift the weight onto that foot, there is a much greater variety, continuously changing sensation and intensity. So, uh, although uh, what you observed is true that the, the the single intensity produced by the sustained pressure on the one foot is noticeable, there is much more to observe actually in the other foot, and that's why it's normally it's the foot that's moving that you pay attention to. But it also illustrates the fact that, of course, uh, your attention can be anywhere, you know, and we're just choosing objects uh, such as the sensation of the sole of the foot that's moving. Uh, we're just choosing an object almost arbitrarily, but not quite, because, as I say, in this case, there's more more variety and change in the sensation there. Anyone else with regard to the walking meditation? It's the first time that you've done that here. Yes? I found uh, myself being critical of my own ability to, my own depth of, of, of ability to perceive mm-hmm. sensations. Also, I found myself criti- being critical of my lack of being able to be qualitatively deep enough into the sensations, yeah. and then it occurred to me, well, just point is to stick with it, not so much. Uh, that's what occurred to me that, that perhaps with 
continued practice that that depth may increase but not to be so hard on myself for, for not you know, for not being able to, to feel it very deeply. It's very good observation. And, and this, uh, whenever you notice yourself judging and, and being critical, you know, recognize that, that the place that you, the, properly speaking, the place that your, your mind should be in is the passive observer. Just, this is what's happening. Not that it should be one way or another, but this is what's happening. And so, whatever degree of uh, clarity or intensity you experience, to do with the sensations, that's what it is. That's what it is. And observe it as it changes, and it will change, sometimes less and sometimes more. But inevitably, as you continue to practice, it becomes more. There's just no way that you can focus your attention on something without your mind becoming more sensitive to what's being observed. So. Would you say that this is reminiscent of uh Ajahn Sumedho's teaching on that uh, it's not a matter of deepening your perception, it's a matter of just knowing whatever it is, what it is happening, whether it be very shallow or whether it be deep according to your assessment. Yes, exactly. That's uh, exactly, uh, yes, uh, the same thing uh, that he's talking about there. And there, there is a change over time in the direction that we would regard as, you know, it, it, a goal-oriented kind of direction. Things get, quote, better. But that's not the point. In the moment, the point is just being with what's happening and being fully aware of what it is. So more important than how fully aware you are capable of being in the sensation in the moment is how fully you aware of what's actually happening, whether the sensation is more or less clear is the important thing. And, and, that's, not, and that's not a question of... Uh, that is not a question of the capability of your mind. It's just a question of, of how you're using your mind. And am I truly paying attention to what's happening or not? Yes? This ability of the attention is kind of the mind function. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of mind function? The stability of the attention, or the, the attention, the ability of the attention. Um, He's asking uh, whether this introspective awareness that you mentioned, this ability to observe the present moment, should also be regarded as just an innate part of mental function. Um, it is an innate part of mental function, but it's one that we rarely exercise. And what is so important about the practice is that we're cultivating the habit of exercising it more and more often until eventually it becomes uh, more or less continuously present. Does that answer your question? Yeah. It, but it's something that's innately there. You know, we, uh, <clears throat> if we examine uh, as conscious beings, what is our experience of consciousness? Uh, and we find that it's sort of happening at different levels. <clears throat> Sometimes we're primarily conscious of uh, a sense object and uh, but we're not we're so completely immersed in our being conscious of it that we're not conscious of being conscious of it do you know what I mean yeah. right we, we're, we're we're truly immersed in the sensations of the moment but then there are other times where there's sort of another level 
of of awareness that's present that that we are aware that we are aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. And and the introspective awareness is really that kind of higher level consciousness. So it's not always there, but we're trying to cause it to be there more often. The potential there is not only is the potential for it always there, it it does spontaneously occur. You know, we we do have moments of introspective awareness that just naturally arise and insert themselves, and sometimes in uh, uh, in uncomfortable ways. You know, uh, in a sense, the experience of embarrassment, of course, this quickly snowballs into a strong mental state and a lot of obscuration where we become lost in the experience of the emotion. But embarrassment actually comes from the, the mind from a somewhat higher objective, seeing ourselves ob- objectively in the particular situation and seeing what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then, of course, making a judgment that, oh, this, this is something that is... Uh, unacceptable or something like that. And then we're overwhelmed by the emotion, but the embarrassment wouldn't happen if we didn't have a moment of introspective awareness that uh, projects us into this place of of knowing what we're we're doing in the moment in its its larger context. I think you have a question about the walking meditation. The instruction that you give on walking meditation today is different from the one that you gave uh, in the manual. And uh, in the beginning, I was hesitant to ask whether or not you're going to introduce to people this other technique that you taught in the manual because I thought that, I figured that you probably have in mind the suitability of the technique to people probably with no background in meditation. But then it occurred to me that even as I was beginning to practice walking meditation, I was using a technique that was largely similar to the one that you taught in the manual. Mm -hmm. I found it to be exceedingly more, uh, exceedingly easier mm-hmm. than the, yeah. uh, this other one. And of course, na- uh, namely the technique of, of just settling comfortably to the tactile sensations and opening up mm-hmm. to the moment rather than to uh, follow this meticulous right. procedure of this foot first, that foot the next. But rather, you, you instructed uh, people to, to just walk at a natural, comfortable, leisurely mm-hmm. pace and I was wondering if you would find that suitable for. Uh, That is something that uh, I I was planning to, uh, over the course of the weekend, introduce people both to the technique of uh, slow walking, very very detailed, much at a much greater level of detail uh, observation than what I have introduced, and also the other method that uh, uh, William is referring to, Dr. Chu is referring to, that is. uh, it's a less focused kind of awareness where you're just open to everything. And that's uh, because uh, that, uh, the fact that I taught this method first represents uh, a shift that I've made in uh, my feeling of what works best. And I think that this particular practice is, is the, the best beginning practice. And what I used to teach as the beginning method, which was just walk and stay fully in the present and be aware of whatever it was that arose, I realized, I I came to realize that this tended to be confusing to people and more difficult until they had already had some practice in being out there and doing a walking practice with their eyes open while they had their attention uh, anchored on something in particular. So so, uh, I, I, I will be discussing that particular approach, but I, I came to realize that it was, uh, it, it was, it, it was more an intermediate practice than a beginner's practice. So, in, in, in my and uh, uh, several friends of mine uh, experience, we, we found the technique to be so conducive to becoming fully absorbed in the present moment, even mm-hmm. at a point in our practice when we were practically novices. Mm -hmm. It's a a very wonderfully powerful method and uh, it's actually uh, uh, it uh, is conducive to a lot of insight. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely be dealing with that one. Yes. 
So. Not a lot of questions here, not a lot of comments, not a lot of feedback. So uh, I, I warn you that in that situation, I tend to just start talking about whatever. <laughs> so please, I, I don't want you to hold back or be shy at all for any reason. Yes? Um, I don't know if anyone else has this, but there's a, there's a part of my psychology that I just call it the music generator. And what happens is it just runs songs all the time. Um, normally, in consciousness like this, I'm not aware of it, but when I try to quiet the mind, the music comes up really loud. And the more attention I give it, actually, the louder the music becomes. And I don't know if people have these kind of parts that just kind of keep repeating things in their mind that they find very difficult to let go of. Are you talking about the kind of thing where you have a, a, a tune that just keeps, just keeps coming and coming? Yeah. <coughs> well, uh, what exactly is the question? <laughs> the question is, is how would you get rid of that thing? How do you get rid of that thing? Uh, what you have to do is to let it be. Um, as, as you mentioned, uh, and you know, this is something that everybody uh, experiences from time to time. They get some, they hear some silly little jingle and then it just keeps going over and over again in their mind. And what you mentioned that you notice is that that the more attention you give it, the louder it is. And that includes the kind of attention of trying to stop it. And trying The more you try to make it go away, the more persistent it is. And so uh, the most effective way of dealing with it is let it be there, but ignore it. Don't try to make it stop and don't try to make it go away. The more that you give it attention, whether it's positive attention or negative attention, doesn't matter. The more attention you give it, the, the more you feed it and it keeps on going. And the degree at which you just let it be there and ignore it, it, after a while, tends to disappear. Uh, and the funny thing that you'll experience is, until it's disappeared entirely for a period of time, even having the thought of, oh, it's gone now, will cause it to come back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that's very interesting about this, you know, and, and it, it's, it's a very good example uh, I, why we have this little thing uh, that you call the music generator with little tunes that run in our head. Why such a thing would exist, I, I don't really know. But uh, we have, uh, at any given time, a lot of different, uh, our, our minds are processing different things at different levels in different ways. And some of those things will emerge to the level of conscious awareness. And uh, they, they present the same kind of problem as the tune in the head. And the solution is the same as well. Uh, you know, if you've recently had an argument with somebody and you sit down and meditate, and you find that thoughts about that keep coming back, you know, rehashing he said, I said, she said, whatever it is, you know, uh, I should have done this. Or, and you, you don't want that, you don't like that, and you try to repress it, and the same thing happens. That the more you try to repress it and block it, the more strongly and persistently it comes back. And the way that you eliminate it is to let it be there. Let it be there, but refuse to to pay attention to it. And then it, it gradually loses energy and it goes away by itself. This is actually what we're doing. You know, when we talk about uh, achieving single-pointedness and getting to the sixth and seventh stages of the, of the practice. In the sixth stage of the practice, we still have a lot of things going on, our, on in our mind. We have the ability to keep the meditation ob object as the primary focus of the attention, but there's still all this other kind of stuff going on in our minds. And what we want to do is to develop that exclusive focus and to, uh, to so that there, there really is just a, not just the, 
that it's the primary focus of the attention, but that there's very little else going on in our mind, and, and that's the practice of the sixth stage. Uh, and how we bring that about is basically by persistently and consistently annoying, uh, ignoring, ignoring, <laughs> ignoring is right, consistently ignoring the uh, streams of uh, of thoughts and memories and whatever it is that, that keep coming through. And by ignoring them, they begin to fade by themselves. So the way you deal with the tune in the head is actually the way that you eventually bring yourself to single-pointed concentration. And an analogy that uh, uh, I, I use to kind of describe what happens is, you know how it is that I, uh, you might have a group of children, you're trying to do something and, and there's a, you have several children, and they're wanting your attention. They keep coming, oh, look at this, or let me tell you about that, and they keep trying to distract you from what you're doing. Uh, if you consistently ignore them, after a while they get bored and they sort of go off in their own way and they stop coming around and bothering you. And it's the same sort of thing, that if you can consistently remain focused on your meditation object and you don't allow these, these little excursions of the mind to these different things with either the positive of, oh, that's interesting, or the negative, oh, I wish it would stop kind of attention feeding them, that after a while they fade. I mean, basically, the mental processes that are uh, taking place that have these particular thoughts as their object just fade into more and more into the background until uh, until they're really not obtrusive at all, until you're largely unaware of them. So it's uh, that the same principle. Uh, this is how you condition the mind. When I say your mind is a whole lot of different processes taking place, that's what it is. And one of the things these different processes are doing is competing for your attention. And the way that you train them not to is by consistently ignoring them <laughs> until they quit. It's very coincidental that you mentioned the sixth stage of mm -hmm. shamatha training because I was giving rise to exactly the same thought when Mary asked a question. I, I found that particular stage uh, to be very useful uh, in applying it to the seemingly involuntary processes such as this autonomous music generator that Mary was talking about and also these involuntary physical movement that some people experience mm -hmm. during meditation. And even though these processes seem to be involuntary, but oftentimes, as far as I could tell, there is this very extremely subtle and oftentimes very fleeting degree of participation of the mind, exertion <coughs> of the mind in either reacting or, or involved, getting involved in these type of processes. And, and in that process, you're giving fuel to, to these uh, phenomena. And if we, uh, instead of exerting energy and fighting them off, uh, just as your manual explains, you devote your energy in uh, expanding the awareness or, or settling more uh, into a more purified form of awareness, mm -hmm. then that even that subtle level of participation is gone, and the phenomena in the beginning it would no longer be bothersome, and over the long run it will run its course and dissipate. Yes, that's, a, that's a, exactly right. Yes, it's a very good observation and clear description of it as well. Yeah. Yes, the sort of a basic principle is that um, by attending to something, and no matter how subtle the attention is, and no matter what the, whether the motivation is positive or negative, by attending to something, you are fueling it. That's the word you use, and it's a very appropriate word. You're, you're fueling it, you're energizing it, and <coughs> you're causing it to persist. And by denying that fuel of attention in its most, even its most subtle forms, uh, eventually causes it to, to cease and brings about that uh, peculiar peacefulness of mind and the unification of mind that we, uh, we're looking to achieve. 
Yes. So, um, another second stage type thing. You said something kind of quickly and just once, but uh, I think it actually helped me. Um, you said look forward to when you lose the object and then you realize you've lost it. Yes. And look forward to it. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so I felt like I didn't do any better, but I was a lot happier with it because I felt That's oh, good. Yes. My breath is bad. You know, it just felt yeah. better. Yes. And you will do better if you're happier with it. You know, and so that's that that's wonderful. That's that's very, very good. Yes. Uh, I have a several observations during the walking meditation. And um, today I kind of switch a little bit because 30 minutes is hard for me for yes. sitting. So I, 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 I do the one hour then, then walking. Then um, my, uh, my observation is that uh, today maybe it's a carry on and I just feel like a walking meditation. Uh, in fact, today, for my observation, is uh, the same as a sitting meditation. Mm-hmm. And uh, when walking, right, uh, the, the 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 foot change just like a breathing, you know. But when I um, uh, focus on that, then I can also sense uh, the bodies, the other other uh, you know different uh, locations, sensation. Maybe because I I feel food. And you know, walk on the floor. So when I walk, and I also feel the temperature, and not just my my, my foot, but also the body can sense that. And um, also, uh, you know, and uh, uh, sometimes walking, and I don't know, the sudden sensation is not just just like a setting the the bodily uh, energy. They also have a body energy, even go to the the, the brain, you know, that that kind of feeling. And also, um, I also have observation is that when, when concentrate that, but when the uh, the sun, you know, outside have a sun and that, the mind, you know, sitting is maybe is more practice. So so getting well ex- exclusive that sun. But when I'm walking, just like a, the um, big beginning phrase of the, the stage of the, the setting meditate. So so uh, the the my response to the sound so automatically. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, my observation is that during that quiet that then you can you can I can observe that response to the uh, sound, the mind, is like a it's no almost no gap, you know, just go to response and come back. And, and, and that, um, and I just uh, realized during the daily activities, you know, I think uh, the mind, at least this mind in this head, responds to the uh, outside stimulation is more, uh, is quicker, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, then the setting, setting is more like a, uh, you can still observe, but the 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 walk. Uh, the daily activity, the mind just like uh, zooming, you know, to to react to the stimulation. And I have that observation is that if sitting, we can training the mind that way, and and during the walk, walking is meditation is kind of uh, the in between can practice. Yes. Then the daily activity can. Hopefully, eventually, theoretically, can be like a setting, and, and, and uh, respond, uh, react to the the outside stimulation will be uh, less and, and calmer. That's the observation. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. The walking meditation is like an intermediate stage between <clears throat> that depth and intensity of sitting and the being out in the world where everything is happening so quickly. You know, and so it is intermediate between that. And one thing about the different ways of walking and, and the, the way of walking that you were talking about, which I will introduce people to, this is uh, 
it's it's actually a way that is uh, of being closer to the normal daily situation because you're allowing a much much larger amount of information in. But no matter what kind of walking meditation you do, I think you can see how it occupies a position uh, halfway between the stillness and the focus and the depth of sitting and then of ordinary daily activities where just everything is happening so quickly and you're doing, and sometimes you're multitasking, you're doing a variety of things at once. With the walking meditation, you are doing, you're walking, your eyes are open, your, there, there's much more variety of stimulus in your environment, and it's, a, it's an intermediate process. And one of the very uh, important things that it accomplish is, accomplishes is to help train you to bring the mindful awareness and the focus into your daily life. Not that, not that when you're in your daily life that you're slowed down, but rather the power of your mindfulness is greater and the, the ability of your mind to focus is greater so that even in this more rapidly changing and more active environment that the mind can keep pace with it and so that you can have that kind of awareness. So, yeah. So what have we accomplished today? Do you, f- do you feel how you have a good grounding and understanding of uh, how to proceed through, uh, uh, at least through to the fourth stage of the uh, ten stages of Sanata? You do? Anyone doesn't? Yeah. And a good grasp of the principles? I mean, can you, can you now... <clears throat> Can you now go and explain it to someone else? So if you've got a good grasp of the principles, that, that's the measure of it, is that you could go and explain it to somebody else. And as a matter of fact, if you have the opportunity to do it, I recommend you do so, because in the process of explaining it, if there's some gaps, they'll show up. You'll, you'll, you'll become aware of them, and then you can come back and uh, ask questions about it. Yes? In fact, when you mentioned this, I, I today I kind of feel several times I feel confused or wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, the confused part is that because go through this, you know, and and, and now maybe it's uh, um, more practice in, in in the in the depths, the the, the higher the, the stage, then come back to see this, and I just confuse it. What's the first time when when I do that, and what what's that? I almost use the the this stage the, the feeling to to go to feel feel the, the that. So so when you say can can we can I explain to others, and I feel like a, I even now clear, you know, because I have my own way to to mm-hmm. to practice, and and then uh, today I see very. You organize and, and describe. That is the first time I see that so clear. Mm-hmm. And then I just keeping in my mind thinking, what's the the, the time when I do that, or, or what was the time when I experienced darkness, or what's the time I experienced the, you know, the, the restless and all the thing, and and I feel, you know, now. Uh, even less, I should say this way. I feel less. I can, I can, I can describe. <laughs> uh, you feel less. You can less able to describe. Oh. Yes, because I think everybody is different. So that so, part is true. Yeah. So so in in the past, I feel so sure. You know, I'm so clear, and now I don't feel like a, no, no, no. This is only just a very little tiny way, you know, and, and everybody can, can experience different. Mm-hmm. And I even feel like I don't have a, uh, you know, cap- capability to, 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 to know that and can, can, can explain better. Well, uh, yes, that actually, that is the problem. And, and when, uh, when people first 
started coming to me and asking me to teach them meditation, uh, that's exactly the problem that I was confronted with, and and that I'm still working on now. I mean, yeah, you know, I I want to develop the most effective way of teaching people to meditate that I can, so that they can succeed as quickly as possible. I feel that this is absolutely crucial for, uh, in, on a huge scale, it's absolutely crucial that people learn to meditate effectively and experience the fruits of meditation in a short period of time, not some drawn-out process of, of, of years of hit or miss. But when I first was asked to teach, I had this experience of, well, I know what I do, but I can't remember how I got to the place of being able to do this. You know, and so, uh, and, and I've actually spent a lot of time <coughs> uh, uh, in my own practice, trying to recreate the uh, the early experiences and states of mind that I had, and then the other aspect of it is that yes, everyone is different, and of course, this is one of the first things we, if, you know, I, I encourage you to go and try to explain what you've learned to other people, and I feel like that's very important. But what you're going to experience is the differences, and so what makes perfect sense to you, you'll explain it to someone else, and uh, they're on a little bit different wavelength. And so, you know, <laughs> so then the, at, at that point, the challenge is to understand that difference and to be able to, to adapt to that so that you can still, uh, still communicate and still explain. But yes, we're all different. We have different different kinds of experiences and so uh, in in the teaching there comes there is a thread of commonality that goes through everyone's experience and, and that's the part I'm really trying to stress and point out to you and then people ask questions and th certain things come up and with their individual questions what uh, what is revealed is that the differences there because you'll hear somebody's question and say, "Well, it's not really like that for me," you know. Mm -hmm. But it's important to pay attention because uh, because that is that's one of the many variations. Your way of experiencing things is one way, but every every one of us is a little bit different. So. But uh, however, even though I say that, uh, I still uh, observe. Uh, at least today, you know, if I can feedback, I'd be more open because in the past I I would choose what is more effective way for me, mm -hmm. okay, to practice, and and today is more like a okay, fully aware that it's just one <laughs> tiny part of that and, and still have a lot, so so kind of willing to 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 listen or, or willing to try different even though i feel this is more effective but why? even though i practice this is kind of a challenge mm -hmm. you know almost pull me back to 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 the to the uh, the beginning that but, but i i really ob observe the the attitude or, or, or mind is more open to to willing to learn different way and uh, to see if that can uh, 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 get to the same same, uh, put uh, the, the mental state yeah. or not. Uh -huh. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, that, that, that is good to, to be able to come to that place of greater openness. Yes. That's very important. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the things, I, I know some of you have uh, been to a lot of different meditation teachers, and some of you have said to me that, that as a result of that, you experienced a lot of confusion. And I think that's one of the problems is that, you know, as you say, uh, you know what works for you and you, you tend to focus right in on that. This works for me. And if you, <clears throat> it, it's so easy to, uh, since this is what works best for you, this must be the best way and it must be the best way for everyone. And so if you were to decide to teach and then to adopt that position and say, well, this is the best way, you know, and, and whatever other ways you hear about, they've got to be wrong because this is, this is the best way, then that creates a lot of confusion. So, so we, we, are all, we are all different and there's not a single best way. But there is a certain, we, we are all uh, human beings with the same kinds of minds that Fundamentally, at a certain fundamental level, 
we are all very similar. And, and that's the common thread that I talked about. So, you know, if we, if we can find that and work on that. And the commonalities, uh, the really fundamental commonalities are the ones that we're talking about today, that you're trying to train your mind, which consists of a variety of different processes that normally perform different tasks. And this training is going to take place through a combination of positive and negative reinforcement of things that happen so that over time you condition your, your mind to function in a particular way. And the things that are universally true is that trying to change a strongly ingrained uh, pattern of behavior through negatively conditioning it is much, much less effective than identifying a counteractive, uh, uh, equally well-established pattern of behavior uh, and positively uh, conditioning that instead, you know, which is what we're talking about in terms of overcoming the tendency for forgetting and mind-wandering because the root of the forgetting and mind-wandering is actually not a fault. It's not a flaw. It's a normal, healthy behavior of the mind. And trying to crush it doesn't work. But there is this other normal, healthy behavior of the mind, which is the recollection of intention and bringing into present awareness. And so it's the positive reinforcement of that that will work much more quickly. And so you've made you've made a great step forward in your practice by just simply coming to a place of not feeling the negative reaction arise and, and, and being happy with what's happening. So uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the benefits of that relatively quickly. Yeah. And I, I have a comment for, for just you mentioned that. Um, well, come to the, 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 the status I practice and I experience, uh, I report to you, experience uh, different type of resistance, mm -hmm. okay, and uh, uh, that. And, and today I hear what you, you're teaching for that, and I feel like uh, if we can practice in the, the, the attitude to find uh, the more positive the way, and uh, for me, I, I see the two points. One is that you can reduce the resistance you know, later on, for the later on, it's more is that the, the, the you know, because resistance is caused a lot of dukkha, a mm -hmm. lot of yes. that. <laughs> and, and, and if we can practice in the beginning on the way, you know, reduce that uh, negative, just more more positive, then reduce the. For me, I see that reduce the the function. One of function is to reduce the resistance. You know, critical criticize and all those that. Then that will be later on. Uh, for the stage to understand, uh, 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 those will be easy, be easier to to get inside and, and that stage. And the other um, uh, things I also want to feedback is that from that way, later on practice the equanimity is also much easier because you we easier to accept whole different uh, 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 situation condition yes. is in accepting way instead of, you know, I have to yes, and That's a very good point. Right from the beginning, if you're practicing acceptance, acceptance of what is, you're already cultivating that equanimity and that will, that will ar arise uh, much more strongly and much more clearly uh, uh, and much more quickly as a result of that. And, you know, so much of the Buddha Dharma is about acceptance and letting go of of resistance, so that uh, you know every instance of the practice of that in a positive way is uh, to your benefit. Mm-hmm. 
So you're emphasizing a great deal on this positive, this joyous approach mm-hmm. to practicing meditation. And he's asking that if this is carried to an extreme, if this is done in an excessive manner, wouldn't this somehow hinder or obstruct the seeing things as they are, but instead we're just merely generating these emotions that would get into the ways of objective observation? Um. <coughs> I, or if if you're thinking that uh, I'm talking about taking a positive, making the meditation experience as positive as possible, uh, and uh, utilizing as as tools the uh, the mind's own positive response to think. Uh, if you're thinking in terms of uh, uh, be a risk of becoming attached to artificially generated uh, states of, of, of joyfulness and happiness. That I I don't think that's terribly likely to happen in this method. But it is something that genuinely is a is a risk. Uh, and I I have seen this happen. Uh, with some people that uh, they feel that to be to, to practice a spiritual life and be a spiritual person means to have a very uh, Pollyanna kind of ap- uh, attitude. Well, everything is wonderful. Every, this, every, this, everything's wonderful. Oh, isn't this beautiful? Is, is, you know, isn't this great? And they. No, you know, to an exaggerated degree, they're always pushing themselves to to see things in the most positive light, and you can succeed in doing that. I mean, the the power of positive thinking is a real thing, and if you keep pushing yourself to do that, you can become a, a really buoyant kind of personality as a result of that. But you also become very attached to that, and it's something that is it, it's can't necessarily always be sustained. It's vulnerable. Uh, something happens and everything comes crashing down and you, you know, uh, crashing down and you don't have that uh, anymore. It, it would put you, you, you know, that can put a person into a contrived and false state of, of being carefree and, and joyful and happy and believing that they're equanimous, but they're not. It's just, it's just a conditioned emotional state that they have consistently practiced generating until it becomes uh, 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 more more or less their common state. But as a conditioned state, it's, it, it is quite vulnerable. And it's not really grounded in reality. So I'm not talking about that sort of thing. Uh, but over and over again, I do... I, I do encourage you to emphasize the positive. I encourage you to uh, to create a mental state of uh, joyfulness, uh, particularly in association with your meditation, as much as you can, but not not a forced and, and contrived and exaggerated one, but rather a. a a more genuine one. Remember that however you experience reality, it's not a reflection of what's out there, but rather it's a product of what's happening in here. And and that is the ultimate truth. And so the way that you see things and the way that you appreciate things does condition your reality. It is a fact that a negative mental state is going to be obstructive. And the, what we call a positive mental state is, uh, is, is really to a large degree <clears throat> the mind being freed of its internal conflicts and its resistance to what is. That's the natural state of the mind, uh, freed of all conflicts and free of all wishing things to be different than the way they are is a, a very contented, peaceful state. I mean, logically so. 
if you examine that. A mind that's not that's not obsessed with things being different is a mind that's contented. A mind that's contented is a mind that is is happy. Uh, a mind that is not in conflict with itself is a mind that's at peace. So all of these positive states, rather than being artificially contrived, uh, are, are really the removal of uh, the, the deliberate uh, removal of the tendencies to become caught up in the mental afflictions and the inner con- uh, conflicts and the judgments and the wanting things to be different and the non-acceptance of the way things are. And in that sense, they are the removal of obstacles and the removal of obstructions. And so it's true that the way I teach does come from a place of really encouraging uh, a joyful and positive perspective, but, but not an artificially contrived one, and also not being attached to it, always being aware that everything that arises in the mind is arising as a result of causes and conditions and is temporary, is transitory. So we deliberately cultivate the right causes and conditions and we enjoy the uh, resulting mental states which are conducive to uh, the furtherance of our practice. But we always keep in mind that they're not to be attached to but they, because they, they are no more than means to an end. And a, they are of the same substance, uh, ultimately, as, uh, as all of samsara and all, all of dukkha. They, they are of the same substance of conditionedness and of transitoriness and of insubstantiality. So don't cling to them and don't hold on to them. But it's very important to use them to cultivate them and use them. So that's the dividing line. It's a subtle point, I think, perhaps to a certain degree. But if you stay with the pattern of practice, I think the risk of developing strong attachment to positive mental states is not a great it's not a great one. Okay, well, I hope that this has been a useful and productive day for you, and I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm very much looking forward to continuing it tomorrow. Uh, if you have the chance to maybe do another half an hour of uh, sitting this evening, or perhaps even more if you're inclined, but if you have the chance to do another half an hour of sitting before bed tonight, that would be wonderful. And uh, to the degree that you are able to experience uh, a mind that has that stability of staying with the meditation object for a period of time, uh, allow yourself to become aware of what's going on in your mind, to become more aware of the nature of the mind. Some of the things that I've alluded to here that uh, even even while you continue to be aware of the meditation object, there's a lot of activity going on in your mind. But while the mind remains anchored to the meditation object, this allows you, sort of in, in your peripheral vision, so to speak, to examine the mind itself and see the nature of what are these things that are arising. You know, and some of this you've already experienced. But seeing how the mind has the tendency to move towards a sensation or a sound or a thought and the nature of the different kinds of thoughts and emotions and memories and things like that that are kind of bubbling up to the surface and making themselves known while you're sitting there. Okay. And so thank you very much for this uh, wonderful opportunity. I hope it's been as good for you as it has been for me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you you tomorrow. Perhaps you'll join me right now and let's just uh, make a little uh, loving-kindness wish for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be free from suffering. Mm -hmm. 
May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from ill will. May all beings be free from ill will. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings make themselves truly happy. May all beings make themselves truly happy. Thank you very much.